Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. That song, The Blessing, is based on Numbers 6. Verse 24 through 26, and it reads, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord Lord, turn his face toward you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. As we look at this and we sing this verse together, this this song together, may we be reminded of the fact that this is God's instruction for his special vow, for this dedication, this Nazarite vow that he's placing upon his chosen people. And while we're not the Israelites, certainly there are many things that carry on in God's provision, in God's kingdom, in God's blessing. And this blessing that we sing is one that's not free. In fact, it's not a free gift that we just get and we wield. Instead, there's a recognition that as a response to or engaging with this vow for those that were coming forward in this Nazarite vow, that they would have a full commitment to God. And so as we sing this this blessing together, we're not just singing about the things that we gain. We're also singing about the commitment that we have to God and to one another. What a wonderful picture of the church. As we sing a blessing, we recognize in many cases that God has been good to us in the past, but we also recognize that we commit to him even in the difficult times, as many or as much and as, and as often as we do in the good. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we do thank you for this blessing. We thank you for the fact that while you granted this blessing so long ago to those who were taking this vow, that the vow that you present for us today, that you continue to present for us, is that of recognition in your son Jesus. And while that is not free as well, to some extent, you ask for our full commitment. God, I pray that in this place, that as we come together in one accord and sing, that we do so edifying one another, that we'll hear more about even today during the message, God, as, uh, as we read your word, but at the same time that we would glorify you. And God, that's truly the call. That's, that's the greatest of all, right? That's the first and the second. That's uh, love God and love people. And that's what you call us to do. And so, God, may this time where we come together in this place be one that is a representation, not just a a checkbox, but a representation of how we live our lives, how we invest our time, our talent, and our treasure, how we think through things, how we speak to one another, how we invest, all the things that we do, Father. May this be an outpouring of worship and praise to our God and an edification and encouragement to each other. God, I do pray for each one here. I pray for the needs that are represented in this place today. Father, certainly there are many. There are physical needs, there are emotional needs, relational needs, mental needs. There are spiritual needs, God. And as a church, we lift those up. We lift them up, God, praying together and and in sorrow with one another. But at the same time, God, we lift up those great things that you are doing in praise together in one accord. We thank you, God, for your blessing. We thank you, God, for what you do and the way that you move in our midst. And we ask for you to continue to do so. God, may this whole service, what takes place in this space and online and also for the children on the other end and kids and youth tonight, God, we pray that it all would be a blessing to you, that in all of it you'd be glorified. In your son's name we pray and all of us said together in this place, amen. Amen. You may be seated. I do want to welcome you today. My name is Steve Warner. I'm blessed to serve as the lead pastor here at uh, CCWC. And uh, I want to just direct your attention to a couple of things. We've got a lot going on. And typically, I'll say this in the bulletin, there'll be some instruction there on some upcoming events and activities we've got going on. Uh, Also, you can find those things on our newsletter or online, or you can contact our office. But sometimes you might not know where to turn. And so one of the things I do want to uh, encourage you to do, if you don't already get our newsletter, perhaps you don't know much about what goes on 
on at the church here, or maybe you've been here and this is your first time, I want to encourage you to fill out this connection card. Uh, it's in the seat in front of you. You can also, if you're a, more of a, a tech-savvy person, if you want to scan the QR code on the seat in front of you or your neighbor's seat, you can do that as well. Uh, but at the end of the service, fill this out. At the end of the service, take it to the information center. We've got a gift for you as a way of saying welcome. We're glad that you're here. Uh, or if you filled out, or if you did the QR code, you just go and, and alert them to that. The only exception I'll say to that is today, if you are, uh, if you have a prayer request or a praise that you would like to uh, to have prayed for during this service, I want to encourage you to fill it out. And I'm going to give you time right now. Fill out uh, a prayer request you might have for yourself or someone else. And then when the ushers come in a, in a few moments, they're going to collect the tithes and offerings. They're also going to collect any cards that you might have. And uh, as we've been kind of moving forward in, in launching this new prayer ministry and some of the new prayer initiatives we have, one of them that's taking place is right now. Get this, right now, there is a room of people who are praying for this service and for you. They are here in the building, and they are praying for everybody who is engaging today in, in leading, those that, that from those that shook your hand when you came in to those that will be uh, on the platform to the children's ministry volunteers and every person that comes in and everybody that tunes in today. And so we want you to know that. At the same time, if you have a specific prayer need today, we're encouraging you to fill out your card. And if you have a prayer request, you can put it here at the bottom, or there's plenty of room on the back. You can see my notes there. Uh, you can take that and put it in the offering plate, and they will pray for your specific need by name today in this place as well. And so we're, we believe in the power of prayer. We believe what God can and does do through prayer. We believe that it's a time for us to grow in our faith and our faith walk with Christ as we engage in this type of uh, spiritual discipline as well. And so we want to pray with you we want to pray for you. And so uh, there's other things on there as well. If you've got some other updates and so maybe you want to learn more about the church, but at the same time you have a, a new phone number, whatever that might be, fill that out as well. This is our way to be able to connect with you on those things. Uh, additionally, just want to make a couple of announcements of things that are coming up. Next week is Promotion Sunday. I know this is probably a bad word on the other side of the building, but school is right around the corner uh, for many. And so just want to throw that out there as uh, school's coming about. We're going to be doing a promotion for all of our children uh, for kindergarten. And, and those going into kindergarten from preschool for fourth going into Club 56, and then those that are in sixth grade go, going into the youth ministry. And so we're excited to uh, celebrate all of them in this new year uh, as they're getting ready to go back to school at the same time we're making those changes here. And so we'll be uh, recognizing them next week at the same time. We'll be praying over them, and uh, we'll hear a little bit more about uh, children's uh, camp that uh, concluded this past week as well, uh, next week uh, as well. And the only other big thing I want to mention is our third annual Disciples Who Make Disciples Volunteer Conference is coming up. It is going to be the 26th. And if you are interested in volunteering or if you already volunteer, this is for you. So that pretty much includes everybody. And so if you would like to be involved in this, uh, we want you to be here. It is going to be from 9 o'clock to 2 o'clock here, like I said, on the 26th. And it is a great way to kind of see what's going on here at the church. It'll be a time of fellowship and worship and a time of learning and also a time of prayer. And so we are so encouraged about this. The last two years, it's gone really well. You can find more information about that conference in your bulletin on the the, uh, the handout that's in there, the insert that's in there. And then on the back, you'll find Reverend Aaron Holly is going to come and he'll be doing our two main sessions as our keynote speaker. We're really excited to have him as well. And so please register. You can do so online uh, right now on the QR code. You can do so in the lobby. You can do so by contacting the church office. You can send us a, uh, a, a pigeon, whatever you want to do. But uh, make sure that you register and that pigeon gets here uh, in the next week or so. We'd love to, to make sure that we get you involved and get you plugged in. Uh, one other thing I do want to note, this isn't necessarily an announcement, but it's uh, something for you and for the kids. Last week with Family Fit Sunday, I laid down a challenge for any of the children in the room that would draw a picture of what biblical unity looked like. And I got some amazing responses, some really cool responses. And so I had uh, nine specifically, and their names are Anna Roman, Penny Johnson, Abby Hartley, James McComb, Seth Sawyer, Cashton, and Tahariel. And I, I told them I had a gift for them if they would do this, if they'd engage in this. They all did a great job. Here is one of those gifts. It's a full-size full Snickers bar. So if one of your children, your grandchildren, maybe you're in the room right now uh, and you did that last week, come see me after service, between services or after second service. I would love to be able to hear more about, I've got all the drawings. I want to, I want them to point out everything to me, uh, but I would love to hear more about those and uh, just to kind of hear how, what unity looks like for them. And I've got a gift for them as well. And if they have a peanut allergy, I've got another gift for them. But in any event, would love uh, to engage with each one of them. 
At this time, we're going to transition now to continue to worship at a, a time of uh, musical worship, but also a time of giving. And uh, certainly we recognize uh, within the context of the church that God has been uh, blessing us immensely. And so we are so thankful for the way that he has given, the way that he has poured out himself, his spirit, and his resource to us as a church and to us as individuals. And one of the things about giving is it's not just about giving because it's something that the Bible mandates, mandates for us to do. It's also a spiritual discipline. It's a way for us to grow. Because when you give away something of yourself, uh, particularly back to Christ or back to God, you're recognizing his provision. You're recognizing his strength. You're recognizing and trusting that he will do what he has said he will do. At the same time, you're blessing the church in a way where others can hear about the gospel, they can grow, and they can learn in that as well. And so I want to encourage you now just to, to search your heart and just to be open to how the Spirit might be leading and uh, what he might be calling you to do as we go to the Lord in prayer. And then as the ushers come to collect this morning's tithes and offerings and those prayer requests that you might have today. Father, we do thank you for this moment. We thank you for this day. We thank you for what you are doing. And as we continue to worship this morning, may you bless this time. May it be an opportunity for us to experience you greater and a fresher in a new way. There's many spiritual disciplines that we do, and corporately there's several that we do, and one of them is giving. And as we give, God, we recognize your goodness. And I pray that in this moment, in this time, that as a church, we would glorify you, that we would, as cheerful givers, give back just a portion, God. And as you take those uh, portions, take those gifts, you would use them, you would multiply them for your kingdom. God, help us, Father, in all aspects to be faithful to your word, faithful to your call, and open to everything that you call us to do and to step into. Thank you, God. We can't say it enough. Thank you for who you are and for what you've done. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Lord. 
faithfulness to us. Amen. Good morning. My name is Chad Helmer and uh, I'm privileged to uh, worship here with my family at Christ Community Wesleyan Church. Uh, we've worshiped here for quite a while and then you might also recognize me as the, uh, the director of the campus ministry of crew here at Ohio University and in Southeast Ohio. And so, um, so it's a privilege to be with you this morning and um, a few things about me. I was I was thinking, sometimes when I introduce myself as someone who works in campus ministry, I get a lot of strange looks because the reality is I'm, I'm just not very cool. <laughs> um, and I think my friends know this, uh, my family certainly knows this, um, I'm, I'm not always the most in touch with the kinds of things that students are in touch with. Um, uh, the whole notion of pop culture sort of exists in the abstract for me. I, I hear about it. I, I understand bits and pieces of it. But it, I sort of am able to come along and pick up breadcrumbs along the way. But for the most part, I think I'm able to fake it with students. Um, a great example, maybe some of you saw this really big movie that came out a couple weekends ago about the... It's like about a toy doll who marries a nuclear physicist and they live in a mansion together and they drive some kind of pink car. Um, I, I didn't see it, but I think I've at least mastered enough to be able to fake it with students. They'll, they'll never know. Um, but uh, but uh, I don't make it to the movies very often, but there was one movie uh, that I'm, I didn't see, but I'm at least a little bit familiar with uh, that came out in the year 2000. So hope, hopefully uh, maybe you're familiar with it called Castaway. Now, I know almost nothing about the movie, never saw it, um, but here's what I've been able to gather over time is that it, uh, it features some famous actor named Tom, and um, Tom's character is stranded on a desert island. I have no idea how he got there, um, but my understanding is that Tom spends the movie, which um, from what I've been able to gather lasts about four years of his life, uh, on a desert island, sort of improvising his ability to survive, right? So he lives on the desert island, but he has to eat things to survive that we would probably never eat. And he has to eat them in ways that we would probably never have them prepared. Um, uh, he, you know, he, he doesn't have friends. He's all alone. So he has to improvise. I, uh, there's a Wilson uh, brand volleyball that he, uh, he affectionately names Wilson. And it becomes his interlocutor. It's his dialogue partner. It's his companion. Uh, it's who he goes to for conversation. And, uh, and he improvises this sort of relationship. Um, so he has somebody to talk to. Um, now, I've never been stranded on a desert island, and I should probably watch the movie to learn some survival skills if, uh, if it were to ever happen. But the whole thing is an interesting thought experiment to me. And it's an interesting thought experiment because for years, I've asked literally hundreds of freshmen at Ohio University this question, that if you were alone, stranded on a desert island, and your, all your material and physical you know, needs were met, but you had your Bible, and you had the entire day to read your Bible and to pray and talk to God. My question for them and for you is this. Would you have everything that you need to grow in your relationship with God? 
And implicitly, the answer is no. Um, if you were alone on a desert island, you would not have everything that you need because there are some things that we need to follow the Lord Jesus Christ that we can only get by being together. Uh, and my fear is that uh, even though we might acknowledge that we need others, my fear is that too many Christians live comfortably just improvising their Christian life in the way that Tom's character does on the island, um, getting by with a sort of anemic faith that lacks the joy and the growth that results from being together as a body of believers. So that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. This morning we're continuing in a series, walking through the Wesleyan Guides and Helps to Holy Living. And this morning we're continuing to talk about growth toward the church, toward the people of God, that's us. As the church, the people of God, united to the Lord Jesus Christ by the power of his spirit, there are some things that we do together. Things that can't be done alone, living as a castaway. And so what I want to do this morning is one, I want to look at, I want to do three things. I want to look first at the earliest record of the church in its life. And then we're going to zoom in on some of the specific practices that the earliest Christians practiced uh, and that characterize the entire history of God's people. Practices that help us grow together in holy living. And then just lastly, I want to just notice what results when we practice those disciplines uh, and that life together. So, so what I want you to know this morning is this. It's stated very clearly in your bulletin. It's stated very clearly in the Wesleyan Guides and Helps the Holy Living, and it's this. It's that we grow in, in the knowledge, love, and grace of God by participating in public worship, the ministry of the Word of God, the Lord's Supper, family and personal devotions, and fasting. Comes right to us from the guides and helps. And um, there are other thing, things that we could talk about, but we're going to focus on those this morning. But first, how did the early church grow in the knowledge, the love, and the grace of God together? They did it through participating in particular practices together. By participating in particular practices together. And so I want to invite you to open your Bibles this morning. Turn to Acts chapter 2. If you brought your Bible or your reading device or whatever you've got, turn to Acts chapter 2. And I'd encourage you to leave it open because we're going to look back at it a couple of times as we walk through some of these passages. Um, and just to give a little context as you, as you get there, uh, remember Acts is the fifth book of your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. Um, this is happening. Where we're picking up is after Jesus has been crucified, buried, raised from the dead. He's walked now, uh, uh, resurrected with his disciples for 40 days. Jesus then ascends to heaven to the right hand of God the Father. And, uh, and then he tells his, his followers to gather in Jerusalem to pray and to wait. The promised Holy Spirit comes upon them at the day of Pentecost. Believers from that moment henceforth are empowered by the Holy Spirit to live and follow Jesus. And uh, the believers begin to proclaim Jesus to others and their numbers begin to grow. And so at the day of Pentecost, we read that 3,000 people come to know Jesus on that day. And in Luke, the author of Acts, throughout the book of Acts, he pauses to give us several different, I'd call them progress reports. He just pauses and says, stop the narration. Here's where we're at, and here's what God is doing. And what we're looking at today is the first and the most substantive, and I would say the most descriptive of those progress reports. So picking up in chapter 2, verse 42, Here's what the Word of God describes the early church to be like. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So look, right away what we see is that there were some things that they, didn't, that they didn't just do, but things that they were devoted to, right? Right there in verse 42, they did them together, but there was a shared devotion to what they did. 
while they each individually had to make a conscious choice to be devoted to these things, that commitment was so consistent that Luke can describe it as an activity that characterized the whole community. They were devoted collectively to these particular things. It was a group commitment that each individual shared and was committed to. And here's what I mean. Um, to say that I'm not very musical is a serious understatement. <laughs> um, it's a serious understatement. It would be hard to describe how bad I truly am. Um, I don't know what it means to be tone deaf, but whatever that means, that's me. <laughs> um, every Sunday, I feel like I have to fight the temptation to apologize to the people around me for the joyful noise, emphasis noise, that I have just made. Um, so it won't surprise you that growing up, my musical instrument of choice was the drum. <laughs> God bless my parents. Um, because I played that drum and I was devoted to it, okay? But here's the problem, right? We know this is that, um, now some cultures in the world, sure, but in, in most Western tonal music, the drum was never meant to be played alone. <laughs> um, it's, meant to, it's meant to accompany other music. Um, and so, but I, you can bet I practiced it alone, right? <laughs> and uh, the reality is I was devoted to playing the drum, not because it sounded good in my room, and my parents will tell you it did not, um, but because I was devoted to playing the drum, because I was devoted to the whole project of the band, right? And probably because I wanted to pass band class. Um, but an orchestra is a wonderful picture of a sort of shared devotion to a common project, Write a shared devotion to a common project. Every member of the orchestra devoted to one another and devoted to mastering their instrument and orchestral parts. And the result is something that couldn't be produced by any one musician, especially the drummer. Uh, there are just some things that can only result from a shared corporate devotion to particular practices. And the Christian life is one of those things. It can only be produced in its fullest sense by a shared corporate devotion to a community committed to particular practices. And without that shared or corporate devotion, the Christian life is the poorer, whether we realize it or not. So just some application, and if you'll, if you'll humor me to stick with the orchestra for a minute, there are really two ways this can go wrong. And the first is by playing your instrument alone. It's really neglecting to be together. It's a diminished and impoverished sense of the Christian experience of the Christian life. No matter how devoted you are, you might be the best little drummer boy around. Uh, but if you aren't playing in the orchestra, there's a limit on your ability to make real music. To grow in the knowledge and the love and the grace of God. Because that's what we're, that's what we're talking about this morning. Um, one theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his classic work, Life Together, uh, he says it like this. He says, the physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. Friends, the orchestra, this thing, is a gift to you and to me. It's a gift and a joy. And so my question is, is the presence of other Christians an incomparable joy and strength to you? Because no matter how hard the week has been, no matter what burdens we each carry through those doors, the question is, are you able, when you walk in somewhere in the recesses of your soul, to acknowledge it is a joy to be here among brothers and sisters in Christ. That this is a good thing to be together. And I'll say the second way this can go wrong is by playing your instrument, but with no devotion. And I think this is probably the more common temptation. After all, I'm kind of preaching to the choir here. Um, you're here this morning. But the, more the other temptation is to sort of play your instrument with no devotion, neglecting to give your all. It's a sort of just show up and go through the motions kind of participation. But the reality is the rest of the orchestra is better when everyone gives their all, Right? With no devotion to your part in the orchestra, everyone suffers. Implicitly, it's a denial of the good that this thing is when we gather together. And so here the question is, have you lost the wonder and the joy of being together? So that now you're just doing the bare minimum, perhaps. Or are you here to contribute to the orchestra to be all in, to make it better? Another way to think about this is, are you going through the motions rather than living with devotion? 
Because the early church, they grew in the knowledge, love, and grace of God by participating in these particular practices together. And so it won't surprise you that the second point on your outline in your bulletin is that we grow in knowledge, love, and the grace of God by participating in these particular practices together. So I'm going to hit each one of these. The five practices that the Wesleyan Guides and Helps uh, to Holy Living name explicitly or refer to implicitly. Um, again, there are others we could talk about. We already, uh, Pastor Steve already mentioned giving this morning. But here are the five we're going to talk about. The first one is this, public worship. Look at verse 44. We, we shouldn't miss it. In chapter 2, verse 44, all the believers were together. They didn't neglect meeting together as some were in the habit of doing, as the author of Hebrews tells us later. We get the picture of a community of people who gathered. And where did they gather? They met together in the temple courts. They didn't have a building like this one, but they were committed to being together. They gathered together in the full view of the citizenry of Jerusalem. And through public worship, we grow, just as they did, in the knowledge, the love, and the grace of God. When we gather together, think about what we do for just a moment. Some of the things that we do. Together, we declare our shared faith in Christ and what he's done for us. Together, we share the joys and the hardships of life when we gather together. Together, we lift our hearts in praise and thanksgiving to God. Together, we confess our sins and our shortcomings and our need for the gospel when we gather together. Together, we admit our deep need for Christ and his forgiveness. Together, we pray and ask God to meet our needs, material, spiritual, relational. And I would just say this morning, if you aren't doing those things regularly, and again, this morning I realize I'm preaching to the choir, but the key word here is regularly. If you aren't doing those things together with other Christ followers, you might be living as a castaway. You might just be improvising your Christian faith. And I will just suggest to you that your own growth is diminished and the rest of our experience together as the body of Christ is diminished on account of the absence of being together. And um, I just feel compelled to mention, because I hear this sometimes, and it's important to know, um, uh, I've heard this many times, even, even in my own family, from other, other extended family members. Um, God is not in heaven keeping some heavenly scorecard of your church attendance. Um, you know, the Smith family has missed three Sundays, so we will give them three demerits. There's not, uh, he's not sitting around going, well, Susie has uh, skipped church to um, study for the exam. Let's make sure she fails. Um, no, this is, this is a horrible, and I would even suggest idolatrous view of God um, to think that he sits in, in, in his, that his love is measured by what we do. It's not. So hear me really clearly this morning. Um, and this is true for all of these practices. God will not love you any less if you fail to do them or fail to do them perfectly. The problem is, is that you will love him less. That's, that's the real problem. His love for you won't change, but your lack of, your, your lack of giving your all to the orchestra, uh, you will miss out and we will miss out on account of it. Because we grow in the knowledge, the love, and the grace of God through public worship. Second one is this, ministry of the word of God. Acts chapter 2, again, verse 42, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. And we might say, well, why the apostles' teaching? Well, first of all, um, they were eager to learn and grow in their knowledge of God. And we do the same thing when we sit under the authority of this book as it's taught publicly and collectively in community. And uh, I, I talk with students about this often. Um, don't take it up with me. You can take it up with God. In his infinite wisdom and grace and kindness, he has chosen to reveal himself to us primarily, not exclusively, but primarily in this book. And so it is wisdom and in his knowledge and in his grace, his kindness to us, we sit under the authority of the teaching of his word. And the reality is, is a good bit of the Bible... And, and this is where we've got to remember this. Some of you might be thinking, oh, Chad, I'm doing great in this. Actually, I read my Bible every day at home. That's awesome. And I would say that's the one thing I tell students all the time. If you could just do one thing, open your Bible and get to know the God of the universe who created you and loves you and who sent his son to die for you. Do that. But, but here's the thing that we miss sometimes is that um, a good bit of this book was meant to be read not by you, but by you, <laughs> 
okay? It was written to, uh, especially large portions of the New Testament epistles, not all of them, but a good majority of them, were written to collective groups, right? To the church at Rome, to the church at Corinth. Um, I'd encourage you sometime to Google the Y'all Bible, because we have a lot to learn from our southern English-speaking friends. Uh, we know we have this problem in English, right? That the second person singular in English is the same as the second person plural. You know what I mean? That when, uh, that when the authors of the, of the Bible, when they write you in the original languages, it, it gets translated in English, it just says you. But we don't realize that there's a whole lot going on that, would, that we could better translate y'all. Um, God is speaking to y'all very often, okay? And we miss that. Google the y'all Bible. It, it, it's awesome. It'll substitute the word y'all for any, in, in any of the major translations where you get the word uh, you in the second person plural. So here's the other problem. And here's the other thing that we miss. And I, just, and I think this is important. Um, so tolerate a little academic nerdery for a second. Um, in the year 2010, there was an important article that came out in the Journal of Behavioral and Brain Sciences. And the title of the article was The Weirdest People on Earth? Question um, mark. And they were, they were writing about the weirdest people on earth. And here's, here's what they mean by weird, because um, I have bad news for you. <laughs> um, weird, uh, they, they meant Western, educated, industrialized, rich, and democratic. Western, educated, industrialized, rich, and democratic. The, acro the acrostic is weird. Um, and here's what the argument is. And this is, again, in the Journal of, uh, of uh, Behavioral and Brain Sciences in 2010. The, one way of summarizing the conclusion of the article was this. That the weirder you are, and let me tell you, on average, Americans are pretty weird, okay? Um, the weirder you are, the more you are inclined to see the world, people and objects, as disconnected, autonomous, independent things that have no relationship to one another. The weirder you are, the more you see things that way. And guess what? The less weird you are, cultures that are not that weird, they tend to see things connected. Um, you, you know, people are connected. Objects are connected. People are connected to objects. And the reality is, is that um, the, the worldview and the context in which most of this book was written was not very weird by that definition. And so here's why I take us on this brief detour, because you and I are very tempted when we read our Bible to think as long as I'm doing what it says, and as long as I'm reading my Bible, and as long as I'm doing, you know, uh, whatever, I'm fine. But I'll tell you, most of the world and most of history, it's not been viewed that way. It is about how we are doing collectively, sitting under the authority of God's word together. See the difference? Okay, enough on that. Um, the, one other, the one other thing I'll say about this is um, collectively studying the scriptures with Christians and sitting under, their, uh, under the authority and the teaching of the Bible, um, not by yourselves, but in community, Bible study, here on Sunday morning under the authority of the word. It's so important because the reality is, and I don't know if, if, if everyone recognizes this all the time, um, you would not have read this book on your own and come to the same conclusions that the historic Christian church has come to. Um, you, none of you on your own, myself included, would have read the Bible and said, oh, here's the doctrine of the Trinity very clearly. Oh, here I can see a very clear orthodox uh, definition of the doctrine of the incarnation or the atonement. Um, you would not come to those conclusions. The reality is we need one another, both collectively and the voices of Christians that have come before us to help us understand and interpret this book. We read it and interpret it in community. And I'll tell you, this can go really wrong. I've shared with some of you before, it was the summer of 1997. I was a 14-year-old boy and I trusted Christ at a, at a Christian camp. And uh, my life began to change. And I was so excited because they gave me a Bible when I was there. I didn't know what else to do. I wasn't connected to a church. I didn't know any other believers. So I went home and every night before I went to bed, I started reading my Bible. And I began right at the beginning with the book of Matthew. <laughs> now... It took me a year before I realized and started rubbing shoulders with other Christians and attended a church realizing that they had only given me a New Testament. Um, I would have never known if I weren't reading in community with others. Um, I remember reading the Sermon on the Mount and being profoundly confused. I won't even tell you some of the strange things I thought were going on there. Um, I remember when I got to the book of Revelation. Again, this is sitting alone in my room at night, half falling asleep as a teenage boy. I remember coming to the book of Revelation and 
I went, oh my goodness. I'd been underlining things that I thought were important. I just started underlining the whole thing. Um, and uh, and now that's not to say it's not important because it is, right? But I had no context. I had no framework for how to understand it in light of the rest of the scriptures. We read and we sit under the authority of God's word, not just individually, but in community. Okay, I've, I've beat that horse dead. You get the picture. Um, third, the Lord's Supper. Verse 42, again, they were devoted to breaking bread together. Now, scholars debate whether this is a reference to that special meal, the Lord's Supper, where Jesus told them, whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me, or whether this is just believers eating together, okay? It might be either one. I'm not saying that it's one or the other. But because Luke mentions later on in verse 46, because he mentions breaking bread together in their homes, one suggestion is that this might have been a reference to the Lord's Supper. But maybe they were just hanging out, eating food together, and that's great too. Regardless, we know that the earliest followers of Jesus did just what he told them to, right? He told them to celebrate a meal, just like we're going to do next Sunday, where we participate in a practice through which we grow in the knowledge and the love and the grace of God together. Because when we do it, we're reminded of the gospel afresh, our hearts well up with gratitude because we're reminded of what Jesus has done for us in a more concrete way. Our senses of touch and taste and smell work together to remind us that God loved us enough to send Jesus to have his body broken and his blood spilled out of a deep abiding love for us. And whenever we celebrate that meal together, we remember what he did for us. And as the Apostle Paul says, whenever we, whenever we celebrate that meal, we also proclaim his death until he returns. We look back at what he's done for us and we look forward with hope and anticipation, despite all the challenges of the world, that one day he will come again. And so it's a profoundly formative thing that we practice and it can only be practiced together. Uh, number four, family and personal devotions. Look at verse 46. It says that they broke bread together in their homes. Um, it tells us that the life of the community spilled over into their houses. There was not this sharp divide between the public life that they shared together and the private life that they shared at home, okay? There wasn't this sharp divide splitting the two. There was an integrity and consistency about what they did together in public. They also did together as families or roommates or whatever they're living at home, in their homes. And the reality is, after all, this new community that's been formed by Jesus through the power of the Spirit this is a community of brothers and sisters. The reality is the earliest Christians knew that this was family and this was family. Uh, in different ways, for sure. But that there was family. And this characterized the life of the home. Um, it means that the activities of public worship also characterize life at home, both individually and with family and with those we live with. That there should not be this stark contrast. Um, the reality is we sing at home. Um, you know, we, we sing here at church, but we also sing at home. We read the Bible here, but we read the Bible at home. We pray together and with, with and for each other here, but we do the same thing at home. We pray and confess our sins here together. We do the same thing at home. We extend forgiveness and ask for forgiveness here. We do the same thing at home. And so I introduce to you a profound and weighty theological tome through which I've been working through for several years with my family called Our Home is Like a Little Church. See this? Prepare yourselves. This is, this is meaty, okay? Um, it, was, it was actually written for preschool age theologians. And um, I'll give you a couple of examples. Here's what I love about this little book. It's challenging for all of us, even though it's written for my five-year-old uh, daughter, okay? Um, on each side, we have um, a practice that happens at church. And on the right-hand side, we have way this happens at home. So humor me for a moment. At church, we sing and clap for God who made the earth and sky. He made us too and loves us most. He cares each time we cry. Well, then we go home. At home, we sing our Bible songs to God for all he's done and how he showed his love for us through Christ, his only son. That's beautiful. And that's what we do. I'll give you another example. Just one more. At church, we bow our head and pray. The pastor says, God hears. We talk to God and tell him all our secrets and our fears. Well, then we go home to the other page. Before we eat or go to bed, or when I'm sad or scared, my mom and dad say, let us pray, for God is always there. You see, the reality is, is what we do here 
should characterize our life at home because our home is like a little church. It's not a substitute for church, right? It's not a substitute, but it mirrors it. There's a continuity and a consistency between the two. So my question is, do you open your Bible at home and read it with others? Not just by yourself, but with others. Do you worship through song at home? Do you pray at home? Not just alone, but with the others. Uh, if, if, you, if you're gifted, if you have the opportunity and the privilege to live with others, do you pray with them as well? Because we grow in the knowledge, love, and grace of God when we do these things together, both publicly and at home. And then lastly, verse 42, it says they were devoted to prayer. And implicitly, that we know also that the early church practiced fasting. And so number five is fasting and prayer. Um, and part of me reads that and I want to say, well, of course they were devoted to prayer, right? God talks to us through his word and we talk to God through prayer. And so, of course, they prayed to God. And we read later on in the book of Acts that they set aside special times to fast together and ask God to do things. They did it when they commissioned Paul and Barnabas. They did it when they were confirming leaders for the churches. Um, there were special moments where they would pray and fast together. Contrary to popular belief, and I just want to get this out there, fasting isn't primarily, keyword primarily, about getting answers to prayer. It's not accompanied with prayer in order to show God how hard we're trying, to show him how much we deserve an answer to our prayer, or how truly spiritual we are. That's not the purpose. And here John Wesley, I think, said it best. Here's what Wesley says, talking about fasting. He says, first, let fasting be done unto the Lord with our eyes singly fixed on him. Let our intention herein be this and this alone, to glorify the Father which is in heaven. He says that our fasting is primarily about God. Um, one author writing on this, he says it like this, that fasting is not primarily about the blessing, but about the blesser. It's a way to bring focus to mind and body on God and who he is and what he's done for us. And it reminds us that we are sustained not by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And Christians who have written seriously on the topic of fasting will tell us that when we abstain from food to fast, we're actually feasting on the Lord instead. We're not fasting, but we're feasting is what we're really doing. And I'll just give you a quick example of this. Our ministry has been recovering from the pandemic. And um, each year we're growing. Each year we're seeing students trust Christ. And um, now this happened this summer, and I'm so excited for the fall. But rewind with me for a moment to last summer. A group of our students said, here's what we're going to do. Every Thursday, these are incredible student leaders. They said every Thursday during lunch, we're going to skip lunch. We're going to fast through lunch and we're going to pray together. Not as individuals, but as a group of leaders. And we're going to ask God to move this fall. So this was, you know, last fall. And, um, and so they did this throughout the summer. And they had a list of things that they were praying for together. And uh, here's what's incredible. We showed up last fall and it was amazing. The very first week of class, we had over a dozen students place their faith in Christ. And I was so excited. I, I was just ecstatic. And I was talking to one of these student leaders. And I said, bro, isn't this incredible? Look at what God has done in the last week. And I was like sort of frustrated by his response. I, don't, I didn't write down exactly what he said. But he essentially said something like this. He said, well, yeah, of course he did. Look at what God's done. He said, we prayed and fasted all summer. It was sort of like... What else would have happened? What did you expect? Um, okay. <laughs> but here's what happened is by fasting and praying, you know what happened? Their faith grew. Their love and their trust and their knowledge of God grew through the experience and God answered prayer. It was an amazing thing to see. So those five practices, again, there are others. When we do these things together, we don't just grow individually, but we grow as a community as a we, as a church. And look at what happens in verses 46 and 47 when the early church is devoted to some of these things. It says their life was characterized by glad and sincere hearts that enjoyed the favor of all the people. And God added to their number daily those who were being saved. You see, not because we first loved him, but because he first loved us. Because God sent his one and only son to live and to die, and to rise again out of love for us, even while we were yet sinners. He did it to redeem individuals, but he did it to redeem a people, the church, 
for himself, a community of people loving and following him. And we live and follow him as a community, not as individuals on our own desert islands. He's appointed particular practices by his kindness and his grace. Appointed particular practices that we can know him better, love him more, experience his grace together. And when we do them as a community, we live in such a way that not only do we grow, but our community grows. And that's what they saw in Acts chapter 2. Both in depth of relationship, but also in breadth of influence. Right? The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Because others wanted to experience it too. And so let me pray to conclude and ask the Lord to help us be a kind of people devoted to these particular practices. Father, I thank you for your word and we give you thanks that by your grace you've given us ways to know you and love you and experience your grace more each day. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that you've given us the privilege and the responsibility of growing in those things together. Lord, I pray that you'd protect us from the temptation to think of ourselves as individuals disconnected from one another, living on our own desert islands. But Lord, would you help us be mindful daily, even as we leave today, that we are part of a we and us that you have redeemed and called to follow you. Make us the kind, of committee, uh, the kind of community committed to glorifying you today as we live these things out together. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So as you go, I'd invite you to think maybe in the car ride on the way home or over lunch or with your roommate at some point, what's one of those practices that you could begin doing together with someone else, with this community or with other believers, um, with the church in the coming week? Maybe something that you weren't already doing. I'll invite you to stand for the benediction and then we'll be dismissed. <clears throat> May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit that unites us together go with you. And may we go as a community, as a we. You're dismissed. Thank you. Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC. It is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible. Also, if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you want to learn more about CCWC, feel free to contact our office, check the web, or follow us on our social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends. Let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life. You're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning for worship, or until then, we'll catch you on the next one. God bless.